Hello, I'm Emma. I'm Ancinella. And we are More Than Meets the Eye. We're here to help you see the world through a more aesthetically pleasing lens. Before we go on with our regularly scheduled program, we want to take a quick moment to talk about the current matters of the world and especially the Black Lives Matter movement. We wanted to show our support for the Black Lives Matter movement and for the people protesting. Um, and we're going to share links um, on our social media for you to access places to donate as well. We're not exactly the perfect people to like be speaking on this topic, so we don't want to say too much, but we do want to say that we do support the movement and that we want to help you guys find ways to get involved. Yeah, so if you are protesting, we support you, but also be safe and mindful. Um, text Floyd to 55156. And more links and information we will be posting. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. But what are we doing this week? Today we are doing a PCA and mm-hmm. a We're doing movie. a film one. Yes. Yeah. Moonlight. Yes, Moonlight. Directed by Barry Jenkins. It was, was it 2016 or 2017? 2015, I believe. Or am I like... It's that old already? Yeah. No, it really feels what? recent. Oh, 2016. Okay. okay. Never that makes mind. more sense. Um, but yeah... An absolutely phenomenal film. Um, yeah, it won the best drama for Golden Globes. It won best picture at the mm-hmm. Oscars, which we all have heard about. Yeah. That insane situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I just forgot about that. I honestly did forget, too. Oh, my God. So t- uh, low-budget independent, but, like, wasn't La La Land independent as well? And I feel like the, like, advertisement for La La Land was just, like, so much more than Moonlight, and it's like... Oh, yeah. For like, sure. <laughs> Definitely, I I didn't really know, like, either movies, like, around that time, but, like, I, I remember seeing, like, La La Land advertisements way yeah. more. Also, um, just, like, the neighborhood that we live in, like, La La Land was pretty popular at the time, so... Definitely. Yeah, I didn't see... I saw La La, La La Land in theaters. I did not see Moonlight in theaters. Yeah, So, same. like, if yeah. That, that tells you something. Yeah. Um, About how we need to check ourselves yeah, more often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And support black filmmakers. Yeah. Black like the great Barry Jenkins. So, how did you hear about this movie? When did you see it? So, when I heard about it, when I saw it, it was, like, very different. Just because of, like, not getting the chance to, um, and, like, yeah, I don't even remember, like, if it was in theaters nearby when it came out. I can't remember. Um, but I definitely, like, I knew about it when it was closer to the Oscars race, so I guess it was also kind of, like, it had kind of, like, gone out of the theaters by that point. Um, but, yeah, then it went on to streaming a few years ago, right? And I think the first time I saw it was either... I think it was around December, which is, like... I can't believe, like, this year is, like, the first time I saw it, but whatever. Uh, my loss, right? Um, and I remember, like, this is... Doing it for this was my second time seeing it, like, all the way through. Um... And, like, the first time, you know, it's, like, one of those things where you've seen so many commercials, you've, like, like heard about it so much, you kind of, like, go in, like, thinking, like, oh, this is what this movie is about. And then you see it, and you're, like, oh, that's not that movie that I thought it was going to be, but it's, like, still, like, blows you out of the water, mm-hmm. which is, like, my favorite movie-going experience, because I'm going to go on a tangent real quick. Because, um, like, I, I had the same experience with uh, Lady Bird, um, which I think was the year before. And where, like, I had all these expectations for it. I'd seen the trailer. Um, and then I, like, finally saw the movie. And it was, like, not what I thought it was going to be. But I, like, did not like it. 
Um, yeah. So it was like a very different, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, experience, but I think I liked watching it the second time a lot more. And it's definitely one of those movies that I want to watch like again and again over the years just to like, you know, have my own personal life experience change the way I see it, but also to just like understand the film more the more times you see it because I yeah. definitely like got different levels of stuff this time when I watched it than oh the first for time. sure yeah it's definitely like I think I'm the same way I didn't really know what to expect like I knew it was like you know an LGBT movie but like I yeah. didn't really understand exactly what it was about so I yeah it was a lot different than I what I expected um I saw it like when it first went on Netflix so like last year okay. um yeah so I didn't see it in theaters and I remember when it won or when it like didn't win but was supposed to win mm-hmm. and oh I remember that clearly. I remember I was watching it and I remember being like whoa what's going on yeah. but um what was I saying I remember yeah. watching the Oscars and like rooting for it to win yeah and I was thinking like, like come like, on it has to win like, yeah because I, I hadn't seen I saw La La Land actually but I wanted Moonlight to yeah, win I didn't <laughs> like La La Land um yeah. But I also think, it, you know, it's so important because it's not only, like, it's not only a black story. Mm-hmm. It's not only an LGBTQ story. It's both in one. And I think that's, like, a really important thing. And it's the kind of thing that kind of, like, takes a stand against toxic masculinity as well, which I think is, you know, combines the two I, two things as well as, like, this argument against toxic masculinity. And right. I think it's, like, makes it a very, very powerful story, but also, like kind of an everyday story yeah no I I think that's one of the things I was like very surprised how like I guess average it kind of was yeah just like how very like simple the story was altogether Mm -hmm. but we can get into the plot um right now if we want sure so it's split into three parts yes so you have little Chiron and black and it's it's the same character Chiron is his like real name but he gets called different names throughout his life which I think is like really symbolic to like his struggle with his identity um which i think is a really yeah so it starts out with him as a kid um just growing up in florida because that's where it takes place and basically he lives with his mother who is a drug addict and he finds himself um he gets taken under this guy named juan's wing yeah and he kind of becomes a mentor for chiron when he's little um and he kind of becomes like a father figure mentor mentor for him. And the Juan's girlfriend Teresa, yeah, is also like Janelle Monae. Oh my God, Janelle. <laughs> well, who is Juan? It's oh Mahesh yeah, Ali. Of like, course, come on, if we're mentioning uh, actors and actresses. Yeah. And actually, what I think is really interesting is that like the three different actors who play little Chiron and Black are like not the most well-known people in the movie, oh, yeah. you know? Like, they're not the people who came out of the other end of this movie being, like, huge stars. Yeah, I know. I Only people I knew was... Actually, no, um, his mother's name... His mother, who's the actor? It's Naomi... What's her last name? Um, um, Naomi Harris. Yeah, Naomi Harris. Right. Yeah, so I knew her and Marshala Ali. Marshala, yeah. Marshala Ali. It's, it's weird, because, like, you look at it and you think it's pronounced one way, but it's, like pronounced There's, so much easier than like you yeah think it's the intonation i mess up so it goes through like a little part of his childhood and from the start you can see that he's kind of like an outcast kid and doesn't really fit in um and it's kind of like like because jenkins does a really good job of like putting it kind of in your yeah. perspective um is it's like you're kind of confused as to why everyone picks on him too right which i think I, is like 
yeah really important you know because you don't really yeah there's no exact instances of him you know maybe being weird or like you don't really see like how he's that much different from the kids but it's just explained right away that he's a loner he doesn't doesn't have that many friends and I think actually in part two I was able to see it a lot more Mm -hmm. like what made him seem like awkward or like kind of like an outcast but in part one it's really just like he's just this little kid but like he's very outcast from everybody and I think that's like it's just very interesting and like a lot of the camera work is done from his perspective as well which Mm -hmm. I think is like a a strong choice yeah and Uh, just like little scenes of him like you know alone in his room or like taking a bath or mm. just like a lot of scenes where he doesn't have his mother with him he doesn't yeah. have any friends so he's it's definitely the longest portion right yeah i'm pretty sure like of the all of the thirds it it's like, takes up a good portion of the movie yeah. and then i think the later part is the, the shortest yeah so then it goes into the part two which is chiron and that's when he's like a high school student and you can really see his like problems with you know, fitting in, come out. And his sexuality as well. Like, yeah. that's actually, the first time it's mentioned is when he was a kid, mm-hmm. which I thought was, like, surprising, but, like, a really, like, strong way to go. Right. He's just, like, this kid, and he doesn't understand, like, his own sexuality or just, like, sexuality in general, but they do it, like, they address it in such a way that it's, like, a kid would address it, you know? Like, so much innocence, but, like, also, like, kind of confusion. Yeah, so, like, this, the first part cuts off, like, it ends at, where he's asking Juan, like, you know, if he, how does he know if he's gay or not? Yeah. And that part, the first part ends. So then we transition into his high school life, and, like, that's when his, like, sexuality is kind of, I feel like it's a, feels like a personal problem to him, and, like, I think that, like, yeah, it's, like, developing in a way that it's, like, something that takes up his life, His thoughts, yeah. Yeah. And everything kind of, like, centers around that. I also want to just say that, like, I hope that, like, every mindful parent addresses his question the way Juan addresses it. Because, like, Juan and Teresa are just, like, like, it's not a bad thing. Like, it's just who you are. I know. It warmed my heart so much because he was, like, so... He's, like, no, like, don't worry about it. Like, you'll know when you know. Um, And so then we're introduced... Is Kevin... Wait, is Kevin also in part one? Yes, he's a little kid that he, he, like, fights with. And I think... Something that I noticed, and I feel like this is, like, kind of weird to say, but I also feel like it's, like, intentional, is that, like, because we know that, um, Chiron is already struggling with his sexuality, like, that whole, like, tumble, like, fight scene, quote-unquote fight, because it's not really a fight, it's, like, little kids, with Kevin is kind of, like, has, like, a degree of, like, sexual tension to it, which I think, like, sets up the tension between Chiron and Kevin through the rest of the movie. Yeah, no, they definitely, like, foreshadow a lot of those, like, questioning moments for him where like you know he's like interacting with other boys and he like he feels something feels off about it or there's definitely a lot of foreshadowment there and so when we get to him as a teenager and we see Kevin again like they still have that friendship but it does like develop more yeah to yeah no I was just gonna say Kevin feels like the only person who ever tries to you know like no but everyone else just kind of like goes along without like casting out Chiron but like Kevin is like he's always like yo what's up and it's like like at least someone cares you know no he's like he really just feels like a lifeline for Chiron like like, the one lifeline outside of the people who seem necessary. Yeah, like, like after... Mom or Teresa. I, after Juan or Teresa, like, he's, like, the only, like, person who, like, actually cares for his well-being and, yeah. like, 
um, but like develops I think for him like he sees him as like this amazing person in his life and like he develops feelings for him um, over the course of like being buddies with him but they also like have a intimate moment at one point in part two that like really establishes like their more like intimate connection and like romantic connection as well um and so which i think i mean i know it's like an interesting scene but like i think it's a really like powerful scene too well the way it's filmed where like they like first kiss in Mm. part two is like they're just on the beach and it's like so like they're like being bros and then they're like not being bros yeah (laughs) and then it just quickly develops and they're kissing and it's a really like serene setting where they're just like on the beach and like the white sand it's like so beautifully shot like oh my god and just like the sounds of the waves is amazing and it's also like i think they just did it so like gently that it's like it just really makes it like just a beautiful scene to like watch play out it's a really like moving moment you know and it feels like you know climatic in a way is that the word yeah climactic climactic that's the word okay Mm -hmm. It feels climactic. It's okay, we're from Long Island. You can say climatic. <laughs> <laughs> climatic in a way because um, you kind of like all these struggles with himself has like have been built up to this moment where he's like, oh, so like I'm finally like, f- you know, really recognizing this part yeah. of myself. Well, I think what's so heartbreaking is that he's like, I'm sorry to Kevin, and Kevin's like, don't say you're sorry. Like you have nothing to be sorry about, and I think that's so like, I don't know. Kevin's like, you know the only person who like understands him because i think he feels the same way to a certain extent you know um he's the only one who's like really like taking the time to like talk to chiron because like a theme like throughout the movie or just like uh, like a thing that happens in the movie is that chiron like you know is not much he doesn't talk that much like most of the dialogue is through the people that are talking to him so i love that about him yeah like i don't know i think that's just such an interesting choice as the main character because it's like you can't learn that much about what he's thinking or feeling it's just like you kind of have to like guess by pretend like putting yourself in excuse me in his shoes and i think that's like a powerful choice yeah no it definitely you have to empathize with him otherwise you're not going to get the movie you you have to use like the context clues that like the director gives you and you have to like pay attention to like how the characters treat him rather than like yeah. him going out and saying his feelings so that's why kevin is so important because kevin like talks a lot like he yeah. always instigates the conversation he you know makes him feel comfortable and i think that's like a really important like foil that they have where, yeah like kevin's very like fun and and, and he's not dynamic which, like, works well. Because he doesn't really change, like, personality-wise throughout the movie. Right. Which makes him, like, this good rock in, like, Chiron's life that actually, like, lasts through the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, more important scenes from, like, part two is also... Well, there's also the problem where the relationship has, like, hits this rock in part two where um, the bully... I forget his name. I think it's Tyrell. I'm not sure. But, um, basically, he instigates Kevin to beat up Chiron because of, like, this game they used to play in middle school, and of course there's, like, all this, like, toxic masculinity pressure, and, like, Kevin feels like he has to do it, um, and, like, Chiron also doesn't help because the quote-unquote game is, like, you have to hit someone until they they can't get back up, um, 
But Chiron, of course, is like, no, I'm going to keep standing up until I can't. Um, and then they, like, beat him up, and it's, like, this whole problem. It's, like, um, the ultimate betrayal because yeah. they just, like, confessed feelings. Or they didn't outward confess, but they, you know, started, like, there was a relationship building yeah. there. But um, it was, like, right after their intimate moment that, yeah. like, this happened. So it's, and like, a really powerful, like, immediate switch. Um, and, you know, at this point, like, his relationship with his mother is kind of falling apart. Like, you know, she's she's an addict and she has a lot of, you know... Yeah, her addiction is much, much, much worse than it was when he was a kid. Yeah. And it's, like, visible. Like, he, you, you can tell that he doesn't want to be home either because he spends the night with Teresa because by part two, Juan has passed away, which is, like, super sad. Um, Did they ever say why he, like, how he passed away? No, they just said that, like... They just reference the funeral. Like, his mom is like, I haven't seen her since the funeral. And right. it's like, and Juan's not there. And Teresa keeps being like, you and Juan used to be, like, BFFs or whatever. Um, but, yeah. So, no more Juan. What was I saying? Oh, he spends the night at Teresa's. And then when he goes back home, though, his mom takes the money that Teresa gave him. So, like, you know, he doesn't want to go back and, like, get more money from Teresa that his mom's yeah. just gonna take so away So his home him. life isn't great, and, yeah. you know, he has this, like, you know, bit of light in his life with Kevin, but that's yeah. ruined once Kevin, um, beats him up. I mean, not by choice, but he yeah. was, he did beat him up. Um, and so that kind of, you know, sets him off the deep end, and he kind of retaliates after all these years of bullying, yep. um, and hits a kid with a chair, hits his bully with Terrell, a chair, yeah. Terrell with a chair. And that gets him sent to juvie. And so that kind of yeah. ends, that ends part two where he's kind of like reached this moment where he like fights back. And yeah. it's, it's something like a, a point where like he, it's a big turning point. It's a tor- turning point for him because, you know, he was definitely a victim and, um, a prey this whole, this whole time in the movie, but now he's finally like fought back. Yeah. And it changes him because then we see in part three, Grown up Chiron, now known as Black, is like so different. Like, kind of has like the uber masculine vibe, even though, like, we know and we find out throughout part three that he's not really what he appears on the outside, but he's like. He's created this like hard shell around himself, like, after all these um, years of, you know, abuse. Yeah. And now he's a kingpin, which we never mentioned that Juan was a kingpin. um, So he was like a drug dealer, but like the top of the top um and he becomes so he goes to georgia i'm not really sure if he goes to georgia with his mom or if he goes to georgia i believe his mom let me see um it's not super clear but i don't think it's like the point but basically like he goes to georgia and from there he becomes the kingpin um and which is just like if things had gone right in his childhood like Chiron probably wouldn't have become a drug dealer, but because of, like, the series of events and, like, it feels like the only way he can, like, keep himself mm-hmm. afloat, you know? Yeah, like, once you, I mean, get into that, like, you know, juvie system, it's, you know, you meet a lot of people that influence you, and I believe in the movie they say that, like, he met someone after juvie who, yeah. like, kind of set him up on the street and, like, yeah. he worked his way up. Um, and so, yeah, he's, like, kind of created this new alter ego of this, like, very, like, hyper-masculine guy who yeah. just fits the, like, you know, perfect, like, stereotype that, yeah. like, most people think of, like, a black man in America. Yeah. Is, like, you know, it can, and it's a harmful stereotype for 
all men that they have to be, be tough be like unbeatable you know unemotional yeah which is something definitely that changes about him um in part three we do see him cry and we forgot to mention in part two he has this really like moving moment in the conversation with kevin where he's like like does he say like do you cry yeah and then kevin's like no nah, i don't cry and it's like such like a something that he was taught to like say because he needs to be masculine and masculine means not crying which of course isn't true but this is like what society teaches mm-hmm. people um and then he's no he says something else where it's like i cry so much that i think i'm gonna like turn into drops yeah well that's that's after and then uh Kevin asked him, what do you cry about? And Chiron just like, I cry so much that, like, I think we're just going to turn into droplets. And then Kevin's like, oh, you can just go into the ocean. And Chiron's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's really funny. Hello, airplane. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, so, and then in part three, we kind of see the mom again. And she's definitely, like, gotten older. You know, her health has declined. But there is a really nice moment where they do reconcile finally at the end i don't know if he does as much as she does i think something really powerful that happens is that you know she's like gotten clearly has gotten to this point where she has overcome the hardest parts of her life Mm -hmm. and she's like listen i love you even if you don't love me and like you can hate me if you want that's um because that's fair but i love you so like i am here and i will be here loving you and i just think that's like really powerful and I think it's like a good reconciliation for her you know and I think it's fair that like if Chiron is like obviously Chiron wouldn't because he's like too kind of a person to like completely like ditch her but um I just think like I don't know it's a good way to wrap up that kind of part of the story yeah you know she apologizes to him and like she really like kind of has come full circle and Mm -hmm. like I think like he can kind of like move on from that moment in his life where she's like in a good place and yeah um when they were talking about this too because she was like I don't want you to like keep living this like bad life um like she wants him to have like a real life which um of course all parents do like and not have life like the life that she had when she was raising him but then it like I don't know it got me thinking like like, is he even going to, like, have kids, like, and if he did, like, would they have a similar experience to him? Like, well, I wonder, like, what would change and what wouldn't, Yeah, the cycle you know? would just keep going. Yeah, if it's just, like, a cycle that, like, he would right. be stuck in. Or, like, then I think about, like, we find out later that Kevin has a kid now. So, like, I wonder if, like, Kevin's kid will, like, turn out similar or turn out different. Like, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Um, but then, of course, so after he visits his mother... He's in the area, so he... Yeah, or so he's he back in Miami. To Miami, yeah. And visits... Because he had gotten a call from Kevin, right. randomly. This is, like, my favorite part about this movie. Yeah. Um, because you... it's Part three starts off with this, like... You see this image. They, like, present the whole, like, new image of um, Chiron. Like, it's uh-huh. him with, like, his, you know... He's a drug dealer now. He has the chains. He has, like, people who work for him. Um... You know, he plays, like, his music really loud. Like, they mm-hmm. set up this whole, like, this is who he is. And then then he gets the call from Kevin, and you're immediately, like, that whole image kind of shatters. And it's then like you once Chiron, again, yeah. then you see, like, the real him, like, the one that you knew from the beginning of the movie, the little boy. and Who doesn't say much. Right. 
and he like you know he kind of is like a loss for words like he immediately reverts back to that like old self and yeah. you can kind of see like you know it was all kind of an act and yeah really Travante Rhodes the guy who plays the oldest version of Chiron like he's really like really good because like he makes that difference between like Chiron who's like tough and like Chiron who's like real Chiron like he makes like you can see it Mm -hmm. and it's like I don't know it's just so like well captured and I think a lot of this is like can be attributed to Barry Jenkins as well because like there's a lot of consistencies just in like the mannerisms of Chiron Mm -hmm. throughout each age of Chiron um and it's like I don't know, you can just see, like, the little things that are, like, very Chiron pop out on each of the actors, yeah. which I think is, like, no, it's, just so, like, It's so important, especially, well it does bother me if, like, movies that do have, like, you know, the the, the main character is a child, and then as an adult, and, like, they don't, doesn't fit. Yeah. Like, that bothers me so much, because it takes you out of that world, and you're like, yeah. okay, they, this is, like, a movie. No, I think the way <laughs> they did it with Chiron and with um, Kevin were, like, was like really good Mm -hmm. like they both captured the younger versions of themselves really well and like I don't know they chose good actors like you can see it in each of them like the at least the mannerisms that like remain the same um no it's so well casted yeah um so yeah he then after he gets the call from Kevin he gets to he goes to meet him in Miami like I think it's while he's visiting his mother and Kevin works at a diner now um, he After had, also being put in jail and having yeah. to work as a cook, but then he was like, I like cooking, and so he becomes a cook, which I love. Uh, but yeah, so he's working at this diner, and Tyrone goes to visit him, and they kind of, like, have this reunion. But in the reunion, there's, like, stuff that they're like, oh, this is, like... I, like, eventually Kevin gets Chiron to say, like, what his life has been like and how it's changed, whereas, of course, Kevin is just, like, talking about his life, um... And, of course, because he's now, like, a drug dealer, Kevin's a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize that in the first time I saw it, but, like, this time when I saw it, I realized, like, the tension of when, like, Kevin's like, no, that's not cool, you yeah. know? Um, no, everyone, like, the people from his old life were not, like, happy for for him. Yeah. And, like, his mother, Kevin, they do not want that life for him, um, even though, like, the unfortunate circumstances he had like led him to that yeah um and circumstances that like those two people kind of put him in like it's almost like a result of their you know for not being there for him so it's 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 almost like they thought he was strong enough to like overcome like that but they don't realize that he's human too yeah like like he so you know he was like really damaged by you know his mother and Kevin turning his back on him which you know I mean obviously, Kevin didn't do it on purpose yeah but. I mean obviously he can't take like all the blame but it did they did have an influence on where he is um and yeah so they kind of like reconnect and it's a really like that whole scene in the diner is really cool because you kind of just see them like trying to like like feel out each yeah. other again like oh like is there still like and you're like something? just just stop like making it like just be honest with each other you know because i feel like from what jenkins shows us of them separate from each other like you can see that like they're both anticipating seeing each other um yeah it's cute they're both you know kind of trying to hide it be a little subtle Mm -hmm. like kevin covers everything with like jokes and kind of like make light of the situation and tyrone just says nothing yeah he just (laughs) decides to like not speak which is cool 
Um, but yeah, and then after that, um, Sharon gives him a ride home, and Kevin's like, where are you staying? Because it's like night at this point. So Kevin, no, Sharon goes back to Kevin's house with him, um, and basically like they're just talking about nonsense, and then he's like, you know, I've never been with anybody else other than you. Sharon says that to Kevin. Um, and that's just, like, when they're, when wow. it's, like, finally, like, the honesty, um, and, and you finally get to that point where he, like, where Chiron is, like, now speaking what he's feeling, yeah. and it's so, he just says, like, that one line where, yeah. you know, like, I haven't been with any other man I know. except you, and, and it's, like, like crying ah. in the back. Um, wow. yeah, and so then they're, like, but, it, like, you can see how much it impacts Kevin, too, like, it's, like, it's, like, it was hard for Kevin to be honest, too, and, like, that's so, like, Kevin's such a loudmouth that you're, like, I don't know, it's, like, surprising, but, um, it's a really moving moment. Yeah. And, and then, then yeah, they're in the yeah. same position of, like, Kevin holding Chiron and, like, stroking his head as they were in part two, and I just think, like, I don't know, that is, like, so moving. Yeah, like, that mirroring of, like, the two parts of his life. And even just before they get to the house, like, there's a moment where, um, Chiron, uh, looks out to the ocean and like he's kind of taken back to that moment yeah and you can just tell like he's like reliving all of that yeah the ocean um, plays a, a big part it's very symbolic for kevin and chiron mm-hmm. um which i think is really cool yes um, and also just in general for chiron like for positive things because um juan does take him swimming right which is like a really like big part and it's like right before like they really like are honest about everything but um he's like i'm gonna teach you how to swim and it's like this really like moving moment where it's very like it feels a lot like a father-son relationship yeah no that's such a cute part of the movie where they're kind of just bonding and like he's kind of he's teaching um he's so he's teaching him to swim but he's also kind of just teaching him to like let go and like relax in the water and that could definitely be like a metaphor for his life and just like kind of like living who he wants as who he wants to be and Juan's always like, like he's also is like, don't let anybody tell you who to be. Like you gotta right. choose who you are. That's such an important and like part in, in just cementing like his character and yeah. who he is because he mentions that Juan mentions how um, like the namesake of the movie is, is Moonlight, Moonlight and yeah. he brings up the time when he was little in Cuba and an old woman had remarked that. Um, black boys look blue in the moonlight yeah and so she gave him the nickname blue um and uh sharon's like is that your name and he's like, <laughs> like no. he speaks for the first time and he's yeah. like the only thing he says is that is that your name yeah and then juan's like no no and we don't you don't really like they don't ever say juan's name i don't think until part two which is like really yeah funny. i was like wait what's oh. this guy's name yeah and like two like an hour into the movie but well there's like really not a lot of dialogue that's you know that's such an important part though it's a lot of taking in like the scenery of um Sharon's life um and so basically like what's important about that is saying like no I don't I didn't let like someone else give me a nickname like I'm my own person yeah and like I'm defining who I am so that like is definitely a, a thing that comes back later for him yeah so we pretty much summed it up yeah. one other thing I want to point out from part three though um is like the first time I watched it, I was just like, "Oh, this song's a bop, like cute." But then the second time I watched it, I was like, "This is like rom-com level romance stuff." Um, was when they're in the diner and he's like, "So why'd you call me?" And so Kevin's like, "This guy came and he's like, I know, I know." 
Um, and so Kevin's like, this he played this song, and I like it made me think of you. And it's like, the song is called Hello Stranger, and it's like, it's like Hello Stranger. It feels like a very very long time since you like came to visit me, and it's like, it's like so romantic because it's basically like Kevin being like, Hey Chiron, <laughs> stranger. Like it's been such a long time since you visited no, me. Like it's so funny because so it's sweet. such like a. A kind of a moment that you would definitely see in a rom-com like yeah. you were saying because it, it's so it's like kind of cheesy but like so like they film it like so beautifully and it's yeah. like definitely a touching moment but but it's also like you know those those people who are like super like quote-unquote smooth like kevin is definitely like a smooth guy oh, so like yeah. of course he would pull something pulling like all this, the moves you know? yeah. um but it's it's cute because it's like that is kevin being honest even though it's kind of shrouded as like a joke but um i i don't know like I know he never, like, says it outright, but it, it's very much, like, a, a move of Kevin to be, like, like, come on, I'm being, like, being romantic, and it's funny. It's yeah. Cute. No, because that's why it's so surprising in the end where um, Sharon, like, finally says, like, kind of finally confesses to him because yeah. Kevin's been the one who's been kind of Put instigating yeah. Yeah, everything. Oh. <laughs> I think we're taking off the thing. Anyways, okay. so we talked about the the plot of the movie, so yes. we can now get into like the very aesthetics and filming of this beautiful, yes. beautiful film. We're going to talk about color, because color is really important. Oh, yeah. And the first thing I want to talk about color that they do in this movie, which is, um, of course, so it's directed by uh, Barry Jenkins, who is a black director. Um, hold on. And the cinematographer is actually... A white guy but clearly has experience um and has barry jenkins guidance because throughout film history and throughout like just photography history in general um there's actually been a lot of like problems with like film being able to capture black skin and mm. black people um and if you see in like really really early color films you can see that like the film was not developed to capture black people um and often those films don't even have black people in them so it's like Right. Why would that matter they weren't at the even time? Made but for them, yeah, they couldn't even be in them. But there's a whole, um, there's a whole system of lighting and like coloring um, that you use actually to capture black skin compared to white skin, um, and it's really interesting to like research about. I do like know some stuff about it, but I don't remember a lot. Like a lot, I didn't get a chance to look at mm-hmm. my notes about it, um, but. It's, like, something interesting to look into if you're into, like, lighting and coloring. And Moonlight is, like, the perfect example Mm. of kind of, like, taking that to the extreme. But you can also, like, if you just see, like, the way the lighting in the movie is so beautiful, but it's particularly beautiful because it captures all of these skin tones, like, in a really, like, flattering way, um, which I think is, like, important to, like, celebrating these characters and these stories that don't often get told. Right. Um, that sometimes get like hidden um so i think that's really interesting and he uses lots of color which is like always a way to do that you know with white skin sometimes you can just have like white light and it like will be captured um or like just like a very plain setup but like it's a lot more interesting if you use colors for like people with colored skin because it captures it in a very different way Mm -hmm. um he so he uses like mostly like primary colors i want to say yeah definitely like a lot i mean it's quite obvious that there's a reason they're using blue is to represent that kind of moonlight. Yeah. Um, and blue is such an important color, like, throughout the entire film. Yeah. But, like, it represents very different things at different points. Like, 
I think in the first half, it's, like, mostly in little. It's mostly, like, positive things that happen, I found. Um, in part two, in Chiron, it's, like, very, um, it, like, happens in parts that are just, like, higher tension than not. Like, when he, both times that he's about to, like, fight, get in a fight, or, like, be beaten up, like, it's, like, super saturated, like, super blue, but also, like, the white, like, right before, um, Kevin is told to, like, beat him up, like, it's, like, so, like, it's so blown out, which is, like, a really interesting choice. Um, if you see Terrell walking around the people, like, you can see that the white is, like, literally reflecting Mm. off of everything, because, like, it's so overexposed, but, like, it has a really, like, interesting effect. It kind of, like, throws you off, especially because the camera is, like, just going in a circle following Terrell around. Um, he does, like, really interesting things with color and lighting that are just, like, super subtle throughout the film because it's supposed to, like, be metaphorical, but it's not supposed to, like, take you away from what's happening. Right. Well, there's that moment where his, he comes, his mom comes home after she sees Juan, I think, um, and he kind of, and Juan kind of, like, you know, reprimands her for not, like, for neglecting her son, and when she comes home, there's this, like, the bathroom? The there's this like bright pink light you know that moment and like i think she's wearing also like a pink shirt or something too and she you know the camera just like focuses in on like her face and she's just staring at him and like she yells at him but you can't hear what she's saying because it's there's like a like ambient yeah instrumentals going on he does a lot of really interesting things with sound as well um and i think like like that is so important every time like it gets tuned out it's also to like bring us closer to Chiron like to like see like I'm sure like in those moments like he felt so disoriented that it was like some of the like world got tuned out for him you know because that also happens after he gets beaten up well yeah because like tuned out like you said like they there's no sound like his mother's just screaming at him and I think it just represents that he it's almost just become like washes over him at this point where like that kind of abuse in a way that he has to deal with is just what the hell <laughs> there's a bee fight going on <laughs> um, okay what was i saying yeah so his mother is just like yelling at him and it's muted just to like you really just feel like inside his head it's just, a lot is is going on um and also they they cut back to that scene again at this third part of the movie right right before the third part starts as like yeah. a dream and you actually hear what the mother says, but I forget what she says. She says, st- I think she says, stop looking at me. Oh, yeah. And and it pan- like, and then it's his, like, little face just, like, sta- like staring yeah. at her. And then he wakes up from the dream and he's like, ah. <laughs> um, and then it's like, Chiron is a grown man. But, um. No, just, like, even, not even lighting, just the, the colors of the houses, the, I mean, it takes place in Florida. We'll get yeah. more into the setting, but, like, the greenery there, yeah. it's all very there's a a limited palette which i really appreciate when movies do that i actually i think it feels like a limited palette but it's not like scene to scene it's limited like Mm -hmm. he limits this the palette in different scenes but like the variation of color is like very extreme like little the whole little sequence it's like very saturated uses a lot of like bright primary colors Mm -hmm. um and he like ups the saturation so that like the bright colors is like a big part of it which i think is like that kind of like reflects um little's influence like uh chiron's innocence Mm -hmm. um 
And then in part two, it kind of gets dulled. Like, in, in part one, too, there's, like, a lot of blue. Like, that's, like, the part where I think there's the most blue. Yeah, it it's, um, like, hits you in the face. And also just, like, the scenes of, in the water is just so yeah. blue. And the camera's, like, in the ocean as the, like, waves are kind of, like, yeah. lapping onto it. And you really, like, get that sense yeah. that blue is an important color. Just, and like, representing water, representing the reflection on um, his skin color. Yeah everything and then part two um chiron is like it's a little less saturated than part one um and it's also like a lot more yellows and greens so it's a lot actually probably more like yellows and browns um so like slightly duller colors but like not completely dull because in part three black it's like super super dull and like very very brown like the whole sequence where he's getting the phone calls from his mother everything and when he's doing the the drug rounds in georgia Mm -hmm. is like it's all like brown like very unsaturated yeah very just like but you don't really notice it because it's like it is meant to be subtle it's color it feels colorless in a way and that represents that you know kind of he got into that point where in his life where he's you know lost his character along the way and become this like other person himself yeah definitely but of course when he goes back to the diner it's like full of colors full of colors but it's also like jenkins does this really really interesting thing that like the inside of the diner is like all red all warm like all warm tones but the outside is all like blue tones Mm -hmm. so you have chiron sitting in this booth for like a majority of this scene and half of his face is lit warm tones and the other half is di- is lit cool tones which is something that like has been talked about a lot in a lot of my film classes like the fact that like That's that sick. like is a really cool thing that happens and it kind of shows like I think it shows like the two parts of Chiron like how the outside mm-hmm. world influences him and how like things from his inside like also well, influence even him. when he goes back to the house like as you're saying the outside and is, is very cool tone and you see the ocean the the cool tones there but when they get inside um kevin's house he has like yellow walls and yeah it does have a very like warm and bright feeling to it because kevin is this warmth for him you know yeah. and i think it's like that's captured through the lighting which is oh my really god it's like... making me so sad this is so cute okay i know <laughs> so we can talk about like the clothing forever. oh my god <laughs> yeah i mean yeah when i say color in general i like usually mean like props and well, yeah, costumes and as well i noticed that like throughout the movie a lot of the characters are wearing the color blue i mean we said that it's an important color but especially kevin wears a blue shirt through a lot of it his mother is wearing a blue shirt um unless she's wearing a red shirt which yeah. is like symbolic yeah and he also wears like a he has like two colors he wears like red and then like his little plaid shirt he also wears oh yeah that plaid <laughs> shirt he wears the entirety of part two yeah except for i think at the end he wears like did he wear a blue shirt at the end he when wore... he beats up terrell oh. i have to figure this out this is really important okay man if he's wearing a red shirt then that might but he's wearing all brown yeah okay well when he gets beat up by Kevin. 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 He's wearing a white and blue shirt. And then... And so is... Kevin. Kevin's also wearing a blue shirt. And then when he beats... Oh, okay. He's actually wearing the same color shirt. It's also it's blue again. As Kevin was when Kevin beat Chiron up. That Chiron wears like the same color shirt. Yeah. When he beats uh, Terrell up. And at the end of the movie when... Um, 
he meets Kevin again. Kevin changes out of his work uniform and he puts on like this blue t-shirt. Oh and yeah. Like, oh, yeah, blue t-shirts. Wow. Yeah. Really significant. I didn't even pick up on that one. Big deals. Um, yeah. But that yellow shirt that he, that Chiron wears during like part two is like, I don't know. Like that's so interesting because it's so like different from like the blue that like is worn throughout the rest of it. So interesting choice. Yeah, about. there's no like, I mean, there's no like logos or anything or like graphics on any of the clothing, yeah. which is so just like to keep it very like a uniform and, and very like aesthetically pleasing. It's also mostly like scene, not like crazy patterns, you know, it's like either it's like stripes or like like the shirt plaid. is plaid, but like otherwise it's just like block colors. Like in part three, he's just wearing a brown t shirt the whole time. Yeah, and I think it's like it doesn't distract from from just like Wait. looking at the whole scenery which he wears nice. a different shirt when he goes to see his mom it's still like gray but it like kind of has some navy blue in it but his mom is wearing a blue shirt at that point and then i also um if we're talking about like costume and props mm-hmm. the shirt that or like the whole like feel of the diner and like the look of kevin um, in part three, like, during the diner scene, it just feels very, like, old-fashioned, which I don't know, like, what the significance of that is, but it's just, like, a really interesting choice, because it makes it feel that much more warm, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, no, like, having familiar. it be, like, vintage yeah. Yeah, and he, like, cooks him a meal. Yeah. It's very, very sweet. Um, so we can, like, kind of talk about the settings. Yeah, let's go into settings. So it takes place in Miami, Florida. A little bit in Georgia, but the Georgia yeah. parts is mostly quite dull. And it, you can definitely tell right away that you're in some place warm because yeah. they're outside all the time and there's beautiful greenery. Super bright, all like super sunny all the time. And like, I think that helps the fact that everyone's wearing super colorful colors. Um, something else, I want to talk about Florida Project and now's my moment to talk yes. about it. So another film called The Florida Project, directed by Sean Baker, I think it was like 2017, maybe 2018 a chick it's a very different story 2017 um it's a very different story but it has the similar thing with colors and it's like i think part of it is the whole like florida idea that like florida is like sunshine state you know and it's like everything's super colorful um and it's interesting to see the parallel between these two movies having like different stories but still having like kind of like similar settings and that it's like capturing certain parts of florida like the more rundown parts of florida that are like still have this like colorful charm to them but like have like these broken down homes that like nobody lives in or like drug addicts like live in temporarily and like kind of like both of them are like not like like super high class nice neighborhoods so it's like to see it filmed so beautifully yeah. and, like, kind of do it just justice in a way. Yeah, well, then nice it's, like, people see. live there, so it has a charm, but it's also interesting that it happens in both movies. You know, it's, like, captured very similarly. Who's Who acts in that movie? Nobody really well-known. Well, I think the, the little girl is really well-known. Um, oh, other than uh, William Defoe is in it. Willem. Brooklyn Prince, though, she's the little girl. But, yeah. It's good. I recommend it. Wait, um, is it on Netflix? I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think so. Or it's on... It might be on Hulu or Amazon Prime instead. It's on one of those. But yeah, the... I mean, it takes place in the... 
where Barry Jenkins grew up, I believe. Yeah, so, he grew up in Miami. So it's, it is partly autobiographical, which we didn't, I don't know if we mentioned that, um, of Barry Jenkins' life. Is it? It's, like, based partly on his life. Okay. I don't think, I think it's not entirely the same, but just the kind of the setting and well, he his relationship with his mother. Yeah. It's just, like, a few experiences, I think, sprinkled in there based on his real life. But, yeah, so it's really, it will a big part of the movie is the ocean and having it take place in Florida is yeah, a place really where you go to the beach and all, all the time so that plays a really important role in a lot of the movie yeah and just like oh also the to tie in with colors like the whole idea of I know in the first part I really took a big note on this I don't know about if in the second two parts if I did but I noticed in like almost every like in his house in Teresa and Juan's house um, all the walls are painted bright colors, which is, like, a really, like, important thing. Other than, his house is interesting, because it's painted both, one, like, wall, one set of walls is, like, tan, and the other one is, like, bright blue, and it feels like he, Barry Jenkins kind of blocks it, so that, like, when something really dramatic happens, it's against the brown wall, Mm -hmm. and when something really positive happens, it's against the blue wall, so it's, like, interesting to see, like, the difference in, like, the way he chooses where to, like, put one mm-hmm. wall. Well, like, the architecture in, in, like, Florida is very colorful. Yeah. So that, like, helps add to that. Finally, music! Music! Which, the soundtrack in this is, like, so iconic. Yeah. Well, he uses, like, music very specifically, yeah. as well as any director would, but it's, it's not shown throughout the movie all the time. It's just yeah. in very a few specific moments well it's also it's it's like so precise like the, his choices are so precise you can tell because it's like a huge variation you know there's like old like uh, Motown and then there's like um there's like rap and then there's like Mozart like mm-hmm. and he chooses he chooses when to use these spe- very specific like sound choices at certain moments only to like amplify the emotions of the, right. the scene which is like what music is supposed to be used for rather than to like drown the whole movie out with music yeah no but, it's never it uses the background tools always kind of the main a main focus in the scene where mm. you're kind of like building up it's always in the most like intense moments where you like start to hear the music and everything else is kind of drowned out yeah and like you hear kind of a, a simple like violin kind well, of playing there's a really good moment with like yeah like super intense music but I'm trying to think of when it is I think there, I believe there's like, well, this isn't music. This is more sound. No, but say it. When he, after oh, he gets yeah. bullied and kicked down by Kevin, and he's kind of having this moment of realization where, like, even the person he thought he, like, the one person he thought he had, Kevin, beats him up, and he's kind of having this really intense moment. He goes to the bathroom and he's like washing his face uh. in the sink, and there's like the the sound of like the the light the lights what is it called flickering the light flickering like that kind of like staticky sound is becomes even more intense and like you feel like he's he's coming like a new person after this bad experience yeah so that's more of a sound thing not really music also well you know they they're supposed to have like a similar role Mm -hmm. um but yeah again used in an, an intense moment yeah something else another moment i really liked was um when he gets arrested for beating terrell up um he, they're putting him into the car and like he has this moment where like he and Kevin make like eye contact um, it's actually just the sound of an orchestra tuning 
So it's like not actually like music music, but it like is music. Um, and it's also like if you've ever heard an orchestra tune, it's a very like chaotic sound because there's a lot of different instruments making different like playing different melodies or like different notes at the same time. Um, or like a more like actually it's an orchestra warm up, so like everyone's kind of like you know fiddling doing their own thing, and it's like a very it's a good way to like make you like really feel the tension of the moment because it's just like a lot of loud sounds happening at once um oh another good sound moment um is when Chiron comes home from Teresa's house sleeping at Teresa's house and his mom like approaches him and mm-hmm. she's like kind of crazy and she's like yeah she's definitely I left myself out you know or something I think she's withdrawn oh, withdrawn yeah. yeah um and so she's like, I need you to let me in. Mom got herself locked out again. haha. And you're like, wow, that's like a lot of energy. Um, yeah. Well, even the filming in that is like the the camera kind of it's all close ups. It, it's like all super close yeah. ups, but like it's kind of like moving with the characters. It feels super disorienting. Yeah. You feel like it, you definitely like try to understand that this woman is like crazy. Yeah. She's like going through something, and that it's like very overwhelming for Shadow. Yeah. Like he's like not comfortable at all. Um, and it does that. It, like, keeps those close-ups. And as he, like, goes to, like, let her into the house, um, the sound gets really, like, chaotic, too. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, when he finally gets the door open, like, there is a big shift. Like, she's not, like, trying to, like, get him to, like, help her anymore. She's, like, cutting, like, cutting to, like, being, like, very straight and, like, straight with him. And she, like, she's about to take his money. But, um, you don't find that out for a second. And so when she opens the door, it's, like, the sound cuts back to normal. And, like, the camera cuts back to normal as well. Like, it's not, like, the super distorted close-ups. It's not, like, shaky anymore. It's just very, like, standard. Right. Which, like, that shift is, like, really important. It's, yeah, it's very jarring. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, like, yeah. most of my notes. Yeah, and we covered, we covered everything. Um, we didn't dress this week because, like, how would you dress for this? Yeah. That would be weird. It uh, would be kind of <laughs> weird. I mean, yeah. Because it's not this, like, one guy's life. It's not really, like... There's no, like... It's not, like, Wes Anderson where there's, like, specific costumes, you know? Mm-hmm. We could have worn blue. I mean, you wore blue. Oh, true. You I am blue. wearing all, like, blue right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have red. I mean, we have, like, primary colors on. So, We're I'm good. evil. You're good. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. We'll get those Black Lives Matter links to you. Um, and... We'll see you next week with something new. Yes. I'm Emma. I'm Antonella. Uh, With great aesthetic comes great responsibility. And with privilege comes responsibility. So Exactly. Use your voice. Take action. Compliance. Silence is violence, man. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye.